and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. Have thoughts on what we should cover in a future episode? Let us know on Twitter at at Cisco Champion. We would love to hear from you. All right, today we are talking about the DevNet Expert Certification, which is the latest network automation and software development certification from Cisco. We're going to discuss what skills and topics are tested and how you can prepare. So stay with us for the next half hour or so as our champion hosts uncover all of this and more. So let's get to know our cast of characters here. And Danny, we're going to start with you. Who are you? Hey, thanks. Uh, name's Danny Wade. I'm a network automation engineer at NetCraftsman. All right. Jose, you're up next. I'm Jose Ogarin. I'm the head of engineering at Cisco Partner in San Jose, Costa Rica, named Altus. Also currently in a thunderstorm. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right, Liam, who are you, my friend? My name's Liam Keegan. I work for 24-7 Networks out of Denver, Colorado. I, uh, I'm the president of 24-7, but my, I, I spend more time on the technical side. Uh, super excited because I'm a big automation nerd. All right. Hank, so glad to have you with us today. Can you tell us more about who you are and what you do at Cisco? Sure. So Hank Preston, I'm a principal engineer in learning and certifications. And my uh, day job these days revolves a lot around network automation um, on kind of two sides of it. Uh, We've spent a lot of time uh, lately working on the release of the DevNet Expert Certification, which is what we're going to talk about today. But I also work with a lot of the the other DevNet certifications that are out there, making sure that the associate, the core, some of the specialists um, have the skills necessary that meet the requirements of customers and partners and engineers trying to build up their automation and programmability skills. The other side of my day job, it relates to actually applying um, kind of good automation programmability and architecture practices to the systems and architectures and solutions that are behind the Cisco certification classes. And so if you've taken the DevNet Associate course from Cisco or the DevNet Core or Encore or DC Auto or any of the classes in our portfolio, and you've done some of our labs, those are run out of our actual systems. And so my, uh, I work on the team that kind of maintains, operates, engineers, and designs those. And we're doing our best to apply the same types of skills that we talk about in our classes and certifications to our internal services. Um, and then I do anything else that somebody asked me to, so... Good to know. <laughs> so, Hank, just get started. Uh, as a DevNet expert yourself, why did Cisco decide to create DevNet expert certification? Ah, yes. I, uh, I do count myself lucky as being one of the, uh, the first DevNet experts. That's um, one of the joys of being on the team building a brand new expert level certification is that uh, at the end of it, if it goes along well and uh, you get evaluated during that process, you get to earn the certification. So that was that's a fun little uh, element to have. Um, but we decided at Cisco that the DevNet expert certification was going to be absolutely required. Um, back in the early days when we began the process of even thinking about the initial DevNet certifications themselves, the associate, the professional, the specialists, um, when it was recognized that just adding automation skills and programmability skills to the traditional engineering certifications of CCNA, CCNP, and CCIE 
that 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 was absolutely required. But there, there there was this new persona of engineer that wanted to focus focus on automation, not just have automation be something in addition to engineering, but an actual focus of their day job. And that a special kind of track of certifications were going to be necessary for that. And so obviously the way that Cisco certifications work with the tiering of associate to professional and then finally expert, um, we knew that we wanted an expert right from the get-go. But we also know how much work and effort and energy it takes to put out an expert level certification that meets kind of the rigor and demands that the industry and our, our, our education people, the people that take these certifications expect. And so it was decided to kind of postpone the building of the expert certification until we had the resources able to kind of focus in on it. And so it's just to give us that kind of top level expert tier in the software and automation and programmability track that are the other DevNet certifications. So how did you come up with the, the certification blueprint for the DevNet expert? I mean, I, I look at it as something where it's like the, the APIs and, and what's available as, as, as a knowledge base is just enormous. I mean, everything from Ansible to Terraform to DNAC to, I mean, you name it, right? How do you, do you kind of put a couple of tent posts up and say, all right, here's where we're, here, here's what it means to be an expert. Yeah, it's a really good question. One of the things I learned when I got involved with the process of building any of the certifications, not just the expert certifications, but any of the certifications that we do inside of learning at Cisco, is that it is a lot of thought goes into making sure that the blueprints and the exams meet the expectations of the industry that are out there. And so it all starts with what's typically referred to kind of like a job role or job task analysis. And so this is the phase where we try to articulate what it means to be in this case, a DevNet expert. Like, who are we expecting to take and pass and earn this certification? And so we give a nice description. What are the types of work that they do? What are the types of uh, titles they might have at the the, uh, the companies they work at? Um, what are the projects they function on? What are the, the knowledge that we expect these people to have? And so we, we get a nice document um, that gets kind of written and agreed upon. And and, and we float this information past uh, people inside Cisco, outside Cisco, partners, um, external SMEs. Uh, we evaluate that against things like uh, HR postings and job postings to make sure it's really realistic. And then that gives us the starting point to build the blueprint because we can't put everything from the job role or the job description onto a blueprint. I mean, it would just be massive, right? It would be hundreds of pages if we were to list every single thing that a DevNet expert might know. And so what we do is we get together um, a select group of SMEs on the topic, and we, uh, we, we go through a series of kind of phone webinar or um, virtual calls and conferences and, and kind of weed through and start to break down and identify specific bullet points that we think, okay, these are specific skills that we want to see on the blueprint that is going to eventually determine what's going to be tested. And then it's iterated over and over again to kind of distill it down to the things that we think make the most sense, that are a good kind of slice of the job that is a DevNet expert. And there are a few things that have to be factored in when writing the blueprint. Um, one of them is we want to make sure that the skills are relevant today. We do update the blueprints over time, but so when we release them, we want to make sure that they're relevant at the point, point of time that we're, we're releasing them, and we think they'll have some staying power. And then they also have to be um, things that we can test, right? There's a lot of stuff that you might know and be able to accomplish as a DevNet expert type of a role, but not all of them are easily testable or easily kind of verifiable. So those, those factors go in as well. Um, and it was, when we built the blueprint for the DevNet expert, it was, I think it took us about four months or so from start to finish of kind of the initial 
kind of throw everything on the list possible and then eventually start to organize and categorize it into different domains of knowledge and then kind of filter out, clarify what's exactly meant by each blueprint item, and then finally get the entire SME team to kind of agree, okay, we like what we've got. This is what the blueprint's going to look like. And just to expand on that, Hank, because this is a Cisco exam, that you have topics in the blueprint that are not Cisco related, which they're not from Cisco, right? Which is open source tools like Ansible, like Terraform and such. Can you expand a little bit of why that was part of the exam? Sure. It's a, it was an interesting part of the discussion when we were putting together what would go on the blueprint because it is a Cisco certification, right? And, and we want it to be a Cisco certification and there's plenty of Cisco specific things on there. But it all comes back to the, the persona that we're trying to certify. And the truth of the matter is that there is a lot of non-Cisco types of technologies that factor into the day job and the things that a DevNet expert might be asked to do. Um, it it is, kind of goes without saying that a DevNet expert is going to be comfortable with source control and things like Git, right? being able to manage that effectively. That's a really important skill. That needs to be somewhere kind of in there similar with the the types of tooling that are used for doing network automation. So we might be network automating a series of Cisco switches or routers, things in data center, campus, or WAN. Um, what are the tools that are used to do the automation? Well, these days, the tools that are used are things like Python and Ansible and Terraform. And so those are the things that we want to we want to test against. There are Cisco tools that kind of can also be used, solutions like PyETS from the Python world or Cisco NSO. Those show up as well. But we definitely didn't want to, if we had just held ourselves to just the things that came out of Cisco's portfolio, whether they were, they were commercial products or open source libraries, um, it wouldn't have been as valid of a blueprint, in my opinion. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about like, what it means to sort of be a DevNet expert, right? Because in addition to the knowledge, there's also kind of that like pressure cooker of being in a lab. Maybe you could explain sort of where you guys, how you landed on that. And, and, and what, what it really means to be, a, to, to be able to call yourself a DevNet expert versus being able to pass some of the, say, professional level exams. So to clarify, when you say like the pressure cooker being in a lab, are you talking about like what it means to get through the process to earn the certification or more about like the, the, the role itself of being a DevNet expert, like what that means? Because it's two, two slightly different answers. Okay. Yeah, maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> sure. Um, so like any Cisco's experts level certification, to earn a DevNet expert certification, it's kind of like two stages. There's a qualification exam. In this case, it's the DevNet core exam. It's the same exam that um, is part of the DevNet professional kind of track and earning certification there. Um, so that's our qualification. Um, and then once that's done, to complete your DevNet expert certification, you have to sit and pass the lab exam, which is... Um, a similar requirement to a CCIE or uh, engineering level expert certification. And the lab exam is an eight-hour practical hands-on exam. Um, and you called it a pressure cooker. That is definitely part of it. Um, part of preparing to take and pass a, a Cisco expert level certification, a big part of it is getting yourself mentally prepared and able to sit and kind of perform the tasks expected based on the blueprint in the time frame that's allowed um, within the constraints that are going to be part of the lab exam. And we don't hide those constraints or we do our best not to hide those constraints. Like we tell everybody, these are the, these are the software you're gonna be expected to use. These are the versions of Cisco equipment you're gonna be expected to use. We, how we post the, in the DevNet expert exam, we post um, an OVA of the candidate workstation. What, what, what is your development workstation during the exam? We post it so people can download it and get prepared with it. Um, 
but it is a it is a meat grinder to go through after eight hours to, to get out the other side that is a that is a big part of it on its own and that's i think you can have the knowledge listed on the blueprint and go through and say, yeah, I understand uh, Kubernetes and Docker and I know how Cisco's APIs work and I can make a CLI tool and I can interact with REST APIs. Like that's, that's a big part of it. But being able to be kind of on your expert point, right, on your game well enough to pass the expert exam is part of becoming and earning that certification. And that's not unique to the DevNet expert. I think anybody who's taken and passed a, a CCIE exam and route switch or enterprise as it's referred to now or security or any of the other areas it's, it's part of that and it always has been um and so it's 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 not intended to be an easy exam it's also not it's not supposed to be overly hard either but it's it's an expert level certification and anybody that kind of attempts it um and comes out the other side passing it they have they have earned that title they've earned that badge just checking the blueprint what i like it's that it looks like it's a fair exam you have open source technologies, you have Cisco technologies, you have programming languages. So it, it's definitely a well-balanced exam from that uh, standpoint. But in my case, I just read, see the blueprint, study a little bit, but maybe Danny can expand a little bit more because Danny actually took the, the Data Expert Lab exam. So I don't know, Danny, can you share a little bit about your, your experience? Yeah, of course. I'll, I'll definitely share what I can. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so I took the my first attempt on May third. Um, so it's kind of like the first within that first week, and there's a lot to unpack. I mean, you everyone kind of touched on the different pieces, right? The, the mentality piece, the the knowledge. Uh, I mean, the best way to sum it up is it's a very realistic exam. So my day job is in network automation, um, and so. You know, as Hank mentioned, you know, source control, Docker, uh, Python, I mean, all the tooling we, you know, he talked about Ansible, Terraform, all of that was covered in that exam. And, you know, that's not a secret. The exam topics highlight that. Um, and it's more than just knowing what it is, right? It's because it's that practical nature, it's diving into each of those topics and actually using each of those tools. Um, and that's actually, Going back to um, your comment about the open source aspect, some of the tooling around it, uh, this is an exam that, go with the realistic aspects, it, it covers all the different tools that are out there, non-Cisco related, right? Ones that you would see out in the wild. You know, you mentioned Ansible, Terraform, Scrapply, um, NetMiko. Some of those are out there, um, and and they're not Cisco specific. So it, it is a very realistic exam extremely hard. <laughs> um, I did not pass my first time through, but, you know, plan to go back. So um, definitely, if you're interested in network automation, you know, st obviously start with that DevNet associate, but the DevNet expert is um, no joke when it when it comes to, you know, expert level exams. I, I have more of a practical question. So it's an eight hour exam. That's a very long time. Um, I always think of food, like, what do you do for lunch? Do, do you have to eat lunch by That's yourself? The do you have to bring your questions. lunch? Yeah. <laughs> How do you prepare for that for the folks that are wondering? Yeah, L lunch is included in the exam. Um, oh, okay, That's so, nice. So I, each of the testing centers might do it slightly differently. I am um, when we were doing the beta testing for the exam, I went down to Richardson, Texas, which is one of our main testing centers here in the U.S. 
and we did our beta exam for some candidates um, alongside actual folks taking CCIE exams. Each day there were some people taking enterprise and security and collab. And so our candidates uh, kind of joined them and we hung out with them as well. And so at, at a certain point around 1130 or 12, um, the, the CCIE proctor comes in and says, okay, five minutes, we're going to, we're going to take lunch. And then he pauses the timer for everybody. So everybody's kind of pods kind of go on pause. And then everybody goes, and at least in Richardson, the lunch table was like in the, the testing room. So you just kind of walk like seven feet over, sit around at a table. Um, you can chat, right? It's, it's lunch. Okay. And, yeah. That's it's not nice. like you're, you're left like <laughs> locked up and you got to keep your mouth shut. Like if you started talking about the exam, probably the proctor would stop you on that, but you can, you can chat. Um, most people, um, eat their lunch fairly quickly is what what I, my experience was is they kind of get through it because they're kind of in the zone. They want to get back. Um, you don't lose. It's not like your lunch is out of the eight hours. And so if you eat faster, you get more time. Um, but when you're, when you're into it and your mind is going, but I think for me, I remember when I took my CCI in route switch, um, that was a nice break, right? It was a nice mental kind of decompression, um, give a chance for your brain to mull over some of the, the things that you hadn't gotten to yet, come up with plan, uh, plan your strategy out. But yeah, it's part of the it's part of the test. Um, other logistics, if you have to use the restroom, um, we've got chamber pots in the corner of each of the. No, no, I'm joking. We actually let you go to the bathroom. <laughs> catheters, catheters. Yeah, that's yeah. way more. No, efficient. You can get up, head off to the bathroom. When I took my route switch exam, actually to go to the restroom, you had to be escorted. Um, I was actually slightly shocked that now we let people just go to the bathroom on their own and then come back um, afterwards uh, when they're through and then continue their exam as they go in. So yeah, some of the the logistics are in there. It gets. It's an exam. It's intense, but it's not intended to be like, it's not like taking the SAT or something like that where you're like locked in. Like there's a level of kind of trust and professionalism that's expected. So maybe maybe just talking a little bit more about the exam, kind of the, the what goes into the DevNet side of it, right? So, I mean, I took the DevNet associate and it was, it was probably the first exam that I'd taken from Cisco that was like really relevant and sort of fair. There were no like gotcha questions or just sort of like, <laughs> what, like you could tell that it was like a, a really... I mean, it was just well, it was a well done exam. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking the pro next. And then, you know, I'd like to do the expert at some point. But like, this is the first track where you don't need to spend a pile of money on a stack of equipment, right? I mean, this is truly, you know, you, you, you provide the OVA that you use for the lab, right? Pretty much all of the software is either on DevNet Sandbox, right? Or downloadable, like NSO is downloadable as an OVA, right? I, I mean, just from, from your perspective, like it just seems to me like this is the first expert level certification that I've seen where you don't have to like live and breathe in the Cisco ecosystem. Is that a fair characterization? Um, I think so. I, I do like to, I, I'm proud of the fact and I, I love it when people say that all of the DevNet certification exams they've taken from associate all the way up to expert are fair. Right. That's that's something we tried really hard. And I do like that. Um, I, I do work on some of the other certifications as well. And with folks on those, we try to make all of the certifications fair. Like it's not like we just want the DevNet ones to be fair, but we <laughs> sure. did put a lot of, of effort into making sure that they were um, to your point on not needing to buy a bunch of hardware for it. We I, we did make it a conscious decision, but it wasn't one that was like hard to come to um, because it's a software and automation exam. Um didn't make any sense to make people go out and buy a whole bunch of hardware to interact with the APIs, particularly when so, there's so many things that we can look at that don't require that. So we've got simul simulators for platforms like the ACI simulator. Um, there's a UCS emulator if you want to play with the UCS side of it. 
Um, most of the network devices these days can be virtualized either as direct VMs or with tools like Cisco's modeling labs, which I'm a big fan of. It's actually um, behind a lot of the actual infrastructure in the lab itself is all is all done through Cisco modeling labs. Um, and so that was that was something we wanted to do. Um, there was also the practical side of it is that if we if we had put a bunch of physical hardware on the the lab equipment list, we would have to have gotten that hardware in order to build all of the lab pods for candidates to take and then manage kind of the the, the recovery and update and all of that. And uh, particularly over the last couple of years, supply chain issues have been really challenging for lots of reasons. So by minimizing what we needed from a footprint, like we can, we could, we built it in such a way that we could run the entire um, practical side of the lab exam just in a virtualized fashion, running on a, a virtualized host, um, mixture of Cisco modeling labs for the network side of it, and then a bunch of VMs that go on. And so we wanted to make it easy. Uh, we also, I remember when I was studying for my CCIE, I mean, I went and I found myself access to a bunch of hardware and, and I built it. It was part of kind of, I think it's part of um, becoming kind of a CCIE and route switcher enterprise was always that big part of it. But um, it didn't have to be for this one, right? We can go out and say, look, you can go and use DevNet Sandbox or use some of these other resources and get your access to it. Um, and so we wanted to make it accessible. I didn't want the fact that somebody couldn't get access to hardware to be the reason that they didn't feel like they could go for the DevNet Expert certification. And uh, Liam, just as a kind of a practical note, I've personally used the uh, the DevNet sandboxes and um, CML in my preparation, and it seems to check all the boxes. Uh, particularly with the sandboxes, if you don't want to spend the time booting up all the different VMs and whatnot, uh, reserve one of the sandboxes, and then anything kind of larger like the ACI simulator that would be kind of hard and you know using a lot of resources that also helped as well. No, that, that's fantastic. I mean, I think the more the industry can do to make this accessible to people, you know, that, that may not just have a stack of, you know, Apex in their, in their uh, home lab, you know, that, that is, that's awesome. I mean, kudos to Cisco for, for making that, that, that accessible. And I gotta tell you, coming from a tropical country, from a, in the ways of developing country, uh, being able to do that uh, and not spend a lot of dollars in equipment, it definitely makes it a lot more accessible for people here. So as you said, Liam, it's a big kudos for Cisco and, and the whole team that built this exam. I'll pass those kudos along. It certainly wasn't just me. <laughs> <laughs> but can you elaborate about that? I mean, can you elaborate about the process of building the exam? Because I, I know it, it wasn't a week. I know it wasn't two weeks. No, no. It was um, the, it was about, I'd have to go back. I think, I think the really heavy, Heavy engineering work on building the exam itself, so writing questions, building the topologies, getting everything done, started in earnest in October. Um, so October of, what would that be, 2021. So not like years ago, just like the last October. So it was like seven to nine months or so of very intense work. But even before that, we gathered our team of subject matter experts that were going to be involved with building the exam. And we did some of the early scoping. What do we want the exam to look like? What types of tech uh, tasks were we going to go after? We started to build what our software list would be um, probably early in 2021. But the actual construction of the exam has been an interesting process. Um, so it, it starts out with de defining um, kind of like what are the question types going to be? So like what are the topics going to go through? And then eventually an SME has to take one of those topics and, and write a question, right? Write a scenario that kind of meets the requirement. And it sounds easy, but there's a lot that goes into it because you have to, in, in our certification exam, 
Um, you have to come up with what the scenario is, and then we have to write the code, the complete code for what the, what the end state solution is going to be for that question. So that's the first step that most of us did. And we all, there were, um, there were five of us. Uh, we had about six that started early, but we lost a couple um, uh, along the way um, that were working on the exam. So we, we all write the end state, like the final thing of what the solution is. And then once it's done and functional, then we have to figure out like, what can we do to this to turn it into a question that could be asked on the exam? Because one of the things we haven't talked about yet is there's a lot to cover on the exam and time is of the essence. You only get five hours for the actual hands-on coding portion. There's a three-hour design portion we can talk more about in a bit. But the actual hands-on coding portion is five hours. And there's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 15 to 25 um, things you might be asked to do. And to do, all, to, to do 15 to 20 development things from start to finish would take way longer than five hours. I know, because I know how long it took me to write it from scratch, um, which was way longer than five hours for each one of the questions. And so we have to, we'd have to go through and say, okay, all right, for this question... We're going to ask a DevNet expert candidate to tackle these two or three or four things as part of this, this specific scenario. And the number of things that they're being asked to do corresponds with the number of points that that question is going to be worth. Because um, that's what you're doing during the exam is trying to earn points, try to earn enough points to pass. Um, and so in some ways, that actually makes it a harder exam, um, not from a timing perspective, but from the fact that you have to sit down and understand the starting code before you can then figure out what you have to do on it. So there's this understanding of somebody else's code aspect, which um, is is definitely a part of being an automate a senior automation engineer, because you don't always work on just your own code or just code for you. You have to pick up somebody else's code and work on it. And so that that becomes part of the question as well. And so we write the the end state. We figure out what are the couple of things we're going to ask the candidate to do. Um, then we we write the question text to align with it. And then what uh, what ended up being taking the the longest part of every one of the questions was writing the grading logic because uh, that's that's always hard in any of the expert certifications. But when you're doing you're checking the end state on a Cisco router config, well we can just pull the configuration and like parse it, and make sure that the config looks like what it's at. What I'm trying to verify if somebody did and wrote a script effectively to meet the questions and the constraints, right? I, I don't want to make sure that they wrote the script the exact same way Hank wrote the script, right? They just needed to write it in a way that met the requirements that were there. And so building things like testing to make sure that all the constraints are done always took two to three times longer than actually writing the question code itself. Um, that's kind of a quick overview of the the process. It was, it was, I learned a ton, um, I definitely had, we all had to stretch our DevNet expert certification skills to write the certification exam itself. So, so you're saying, oh, sorry, you're saying that the, the, the grading on the exam is automated. So you're, you're basically looking at somebody's block of code and coming up with a score. Sure. So, so there's always a manual part of verifying the, the grades that are done, particularly in new exams, um, because while we're tuning and making sure that the automated grading is, is accurate. So before any, and this is for all the expert certifications, not just the DevNet one, but before um, before a pass-fail is sent out, um, the, the automated grading is looked at, verified to make sure it was done accurately. We make sure was anything a false pass or a false fail. And then that gives us the ability to tune the grading engine, which is what we've been doing for the last several weeks since it was released, is making sure that the grading is accurate and tuned appropriately. 
Um, but the goal is by at some point is that the the automated grading takes over and does most of it. And it's a very lightweight process for the proctors just to go through and look and check maybe a couple of things, make sure nothing looks weird, and then hit submit to go through. Any tips to prepare for the exam? Oh, we could we could do an entire podcast just on that. Um, in fact, we, we did a handful of webinars on that. I think uh, as part of our podcast, we'll have some resources that are linked to that we dive into some of them. Um, my a, a few easy tips, right? Even even an expert, even myself, there's things on the blueprint that are rough for me that I am not that I would not consider myself an expert in. And I'll, I'll be honest, for me, it's the telemetry stuff. That's always been a, a topic that I haven't spent as much time as I would have wanted to. Lots to learn on that area. Um, and that's okay. You don't have to be like the best engineer and an expert on every single blueprint item that's out there because there's a passing score and the passing score is not 100. I honestly don't even know what the passing score is. That's not something that we advertise. It's kept as part of the exam because different forms may have different passing scores. But you have to make the passing score. Um, it's pretty much guaranteed that you could probably not know anything about one or maybe two of the blueprint items and let, and still pass. Right? It's just the way that math works. And so I tell folks, don't worry so much about be everything. If there's something on the blueprint that you know you're no good at, um, and your your time to exam is starting to get small, like set that one aside and just work on to make sure that you can earn the points that you know you can earn on those. And that was something I did when I, I studied for my route switch certification. And there were a couple of topics, and at this point I can't remember what they were, but I knew there were a couple of topics that if I saw them on my exam, that I was just going to shove them aside and not even try because I wasn't going to be, I wasn't at the expert level in that specific topic. But the other ones, right, I knew those. Now, you can't look at the blueprint and say there's 30 blueprint items and I'm going to pick six of them that I'm just going to shove to the side. Like, that's probably too much. But one or two, right, if there's a couple of things that you know that are going to be rough for you, you can probably set those aside. Focus on your strengths. Um, the other thing, and, and it may be a hard stuff for, for people to hear who are used to taking an exam and passing and then earning a certification, is that that's the DevNet expert, all of the expert certifications, DevNet expert included, is, is it's a journey that goes through. Many people, most people that have earned a Cisco's expert certification took two, three, sometimes four attempts or more to earn those certifications. And that's that's part of the journey is picking those things up um, and figuring out where to hone in. It, it was my third attempt is when I passed my CCIE. You, you mentioned focusing on your strengths and not really, um, I guess, overwhelming yourself with knowing everything. Does that mean like during the exam, you can go through and maybe skip over certain questions and go back to those if you have time remaining? Is that what you're saying? It's a good question. So I mentioned there's there's two parts to the exam. So it's an eight-hour exam. There's a three-hour, what we call the design module, and then there's a five-hour hands-on um, DTDM, stands for design, troubleshooting, something, 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 the hands-on portion. Um, in the three-hour design portion, it's a multiple-choice-based exam. It's a web-based web exam. And in that portion, there is no going back. It's a forward-only progression because some of those questions may build on each other. And so when you do that three-hour section, if you see a question you don't know and you purely just don't know it, you have to submit something and then move forward. There, you don't lose credit. It's not like one of those like mean tests when you're in school where like skipping a question is worth zero, but getting it wrong is worth like negative one. No, there's none of that. It's either you, you get it right or you don't. Um, so in that portion, you move forward and there's no going back. In the hands-on portion, the five-hour portion, you start out with and you you have access to every single task in the hands-on portion you're, you're going to be asked to do. And you can read through them 
and you can decide what order you want to do them in. Um, if there's any relations between them, it'll be identified, um, but many of them are independent actions and tasks that you have to do, and you can tackle them whatever order you want. Um, and you can go back and you can jump into them uh, during that five-hour portion because you're given access to every question, all the resources necessary, all the code, all of the examples, all the infrastructures there. You can make your own plan of how to attack it. The one thing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the one thing I wanted to highlight is that uh, for people that are not familiar with CCIEs or DevNet Expert exams, it's not like you're going to have access to internet to Google or Stack Overflow or anything like that to do the exam. That's how I do everything, though. Google. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Which is a valid part of being uh, an an IT engineer or anybody these days, like you have access to the documentation and Jose's right. You don't have access to Google, which is probably one of the hardest things and probably something worth mentioning is part of preparation should be getting to the point where you don't need Google for everything. Um, but we do give you access to the documentation um, because having access to the docs is part of, of part of the job. Um, now, if you have to look every single thing up in the docs, you'll never finish the exam in eight hours, right? So you ha it's a judicious use of the docs, but we do give them to you. Um, and then we actually uh, have built something that's unique for the DevNet Expert certification that the other expert exams don't have, which is an actual kind of internal search engine that one of our team members built. Jo um, Joe Clark built it. Uh, we jokingly refer to it as you can Clark it to find your answer. <laughs> and so it's a little search engine he built using an open source search library from Apache that indexes all of the documentation from both um, from the Cisco I can't remember if it does the Cisco pages because we you've got access to the the Cisco docs, but it it, docu it indexes all of the Python library docs, the docs for Docker and Terraform and Ansible and all of those, and you can search it and it'll try to get you to the direction of where you're after. Um, that was something that was built very late in our process of building the exam because when we did the beta exam, everybody complained. It's like I can't, nobody just navigates through docs, right? It's just you don't do it. And we're like, we knew that going in. And then we recognize, let's see if this is a problem we could solve. Because we, we didn't want that to be the reason people failed the exam. Like, we really do want to enable it. And if there was a way we could provide access to the to the internet, right, and, and not have the exam completely lose validity and all of the, secu in all, like the security side that has to happen, I'd, I'd rather do that. Because, man, one of our SMEs spent about 80 hours of work figuring out how to, like, take docs for all these tools and clean them up and make them available offline. Because... Nobody writes docs to be available offline anymore. There are, everybody expects to have access to the internet and all these other tools. And so it was a huge amount of work for us to make the documentation available. Um, but it was important. Otherwise, the exam just wouldn't be fair at that point. And I would say that, that was, that's actually something that's underrated as far as preparation is understanding how to navigate documentation. Um, so read the docs, for example, kind of has you know, your sidebar and your left side. And, uh, you know, there's just specific ways that documents or documentations laid out. And so I'd highly recommend kind of looking through what those libraries that are listed, looking through that documentation and figuring out where things are at. Um, so as like Hank mentioned, you're, you don't waste your eight hours just kind of frantically searching for that one specific item that you need for, you know, a question. That makes sense. And, and the good thing is that it goes back to the comment about being a fair examiner. You can see that you spend a lot of time and effort to actually making the exam fair, providing documentation, all of that. There's obviously restrictions of, again, not having internet access to go to Stack Overflow and just copy and paste solutions, stuff like that. That um, So it, it makes a lot of sense that within that restriction, the effort 
to actually provide the documentation goes back to, hey, this is a fair exam. For, for the CCIE, there are, there are like the traditional route switch collab. There, there are tons of practice exams out there, some of which are released by Cisco, some are third party. Any plans to release kind of a DevNet expert practice exam? Um, so we've, a we've absolutely talked about it. it. It is something that the team wants to do. Um, I would love to release and, and write practice questions and things like that. We're getting ready for Cisco Live uh, is around the corner. Um, I think this is going to come out just uh, just before or during Cisco Live, somewhere in that range. And at the event, I've got a couple of sessions specifically on DevNet Expert where I've uh, we, we're presenting sample types of questions, things that kind of align to what's after. Um, so that's a starting point to try to get some examples out there of, of exam-like questions so people can see. Um, I imagine the um, the third-party training folks that are out there will eventually start like making sample exams and questions, and just like we've seen with the other expert certifications. Um, I do think we will see them from our team inside of Cisco as well. Um, I can't commit to timelines on any of that because none of those projects have been kind of committed and, and resources allocated for it because um, it's, it's a lot... It's a lot to put them together. Um, I do know we recently released um, CCIE uh, kind of rack rentals with with sample questions. Um, and the first one we did it for, I think, was the enterprise CCIE. And we've already talked with our the CCIE lab team that they want to do something similar for the DevNet Expert certification as well. Um, and then have that have have that get accompanied with some sample questions and scenarios. But that content has to be written. Um, so we want to, it's just, it's a matter like anything else of kind of carving the time out and the resources to build them. You, you, you brought it up and I know it's not exactly on topic, but can you like take two seconds and plug that? Because for people that need DNAC or that really expensive stuff, I mean, there is nothing better. I mean, that's something everybody that's taking an exam needs to know about. Yeah. So we, um, it was something we baited with the enterprise track initially was offering, um, low cost, I can't remember what the costs are, um, but we can link to the details on this in the show notes, um, but fairly low cost blocks of time where you candidates could rent uh, rack time for like the CCIE uh, enterprise stack. And it comes with kind of the full the full shebang, a DNAX in there, all the infrastructure that you're after. They come with some sample questions. You can choose to use the sample content or use the lab on your own. Um, I think they're four hour blocks, but I haven't, I, I didn't know we were going to go into that. So I didn't pull up the details next to Sorry, me. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, but they're they're good chunks, and people can grab them and reserve those. Um, and they have been highly successful. People have really enjoyed having those and making that, getting them available from our team. Um, and we definitely want to make more available um, out there for the rest of the tracks. Um, our our um, our exam and our pods are fully virtualized, so we don't even have to we have to order compute hardware to support them. But that's that's fairly easy to get, and we can scramble together some some older generation hardware to do to do it if we need to. Um, so we hope to to issue the same thing for the DevNet Expert certification. That's cool. Good to know. Good question, Liam. Thank you. The good thing is it goes back to being accessible, right? To make it so people can actually go through the exams and have the resources. And particularly, and we already talked a little bit about this with the DevNet Expert, is the good thing is that you have the DevNet Sandbox, uh, which is a, to study for the different exams, not just for the DevNet Expert, for Dev associate of DevCore and all of that, definitely going through the DevNet sandbox and, and checking some of the learning labs that you have on DevNet, that's a very good way to actually get started and study and prepare for these kind of exams. Mm -hmm. I would highly recommend using them. I used the DevNet sandboxes when I was prepping for the my associate and core and DC auto exams that I took. 
Um, and I love the sandboxes. I worked on the sandbox team and in DevNet for several years. Um, and we really enjoy putting those resources and making them available to the community. Yeah. Or, or Hank, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you were hoping we did or any, any last comments that you'd like to make? can't think of any questions that I was hoping to cover. Um, we could we could go on. There, there's all sorts of stuff people ask about. We could do. But I think you guys, the questions that came up were good because there's stuff that I don't think we've covered in a lot of the the other webinars and talks that we've done that, again, will be should be linked with the the, the podcast resources here. Um, I, the, I guess in fi- one of the, the final thoughts and something I, I talk a lot about when I talk about what we did with the DevNet Expert Certification is that it was designed to be real world and fair for a senior level automation engineer, someone who's a team lead working on developing um, automation solutions for someone other than just themselves, right? It's it's a maturity level of automation I talk a lot about is it, it starts with just playing with something in the lab. And then the next step is often like writing scripts for your own use to solve like your own workflows. And then eventually you start building things that other people are gonna use, which is a big plateau um, to, to make that jump. Um, And the DevNet Expert Certification is definitely that same type of a jump in a plateau. It's a comment we got from some of our early beta candidates was that, holy cow, this is a big step from the DevNet professional or the DevNet core, like the skills expected and necessary. And and we didn't like consciously want to make it a big step. But the fact of the matter is, is like it is a big step to get to that point, to be that senior level engineer. Um, there's a lot of things that you learn just with experience. Um, you can study technology, you can study the blueprint to, to learn the skills. Like if you've never done anything with Kubernetes, you can certainly go and like dive into Kubernetes to study and learn enough to pass the exam. But there's nothing like having actually used these skills to solve production grade solutions for other folks and having to figure out how to put together tools and different, um, uh, like stitch together something from from a REST API to a bit of Python code and then have to like pull in secrets from some other management tool. Like there's that, that use of these skills in the real world, I think is the best preparation that expert candidates can get. And again, that's probably valid for all the expert certifications, but certainly for the DevNet expert one. Um, and that's, we do expect that the folks that kind of go after this have got a couple of years, right? You don't have to be doing this for a decade because heck, I haven't been doing this stuff for a decade. But to have some experience doing network automation for reels, um, even even at the associate level certification, I was I had a conversation with a handful of of internal engineers here at Cisco who were trying and were struggling to pass the DevNet associate certification, and these were sharp engineers, right? They some of them had multiple CCIEs and they were getting frustrated. And after talking with them for a little while, I finally asked them, I said, do you, do you all actually do and use automation skills like as part of your job, right? Like if you're doing, doing like a daily job, like how often do you open up a script and do something in Python or leverage Ansible or use Postman for an API? And they all are like, no, we don't do that at all in our job. And I was like, well, that's part of the problem, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's only so much you can get from actual like book studying and taking like a Cisco class. If you're not using these skills in the real world, that doesn't mean you can't don't go for the certifications. Absolutely still go for them. But recognize that these are Cisco certifications are expected to be career certifications. They're they're part of preparing yourself as part of the career journey. Um, And so if if you're going to try to like jam your way just through like book study into earning these, you may find it's a bit tougher because 
there's there is that target like when we write the job roles and the descriptions of who these things are for they're not they're not intended for someone who just kind of just their only preparation was like book studying and like running through labs like there's a there's a level of expectation that you've done this for real and there's some context that might be missed if you haven't had that so I hope people don't get too discouraged by that because I'm always afraid when I have this part of the conversation. They're like, oh, you've made it so hard, right? Why gatekeep? Because we need five years of experience or hands-on. I want to get into it. That's absolutely great. Um, But I think that there's part of becoming a senior level kind of team lead level engineer. Part of that is experience. Um, Maybe not directly in network automation, but in a a parallel area where you can pull things, pull skills and knowledge over. For me, that's part of part of the process of earning the kind of that expert level role in a job specific. Does that make sense? Uh, every time I have this talk, I'm afraid someone's going to like go like flame me on Twitter because I yeah, was like, you got, you got to put in the work. You need, you need the street cred. You got You can't just be book smart. You got to be street smart. Yeah, exactly. You need to your day to day. You need that day to day knowledge for sure. Uh, and I think Hank, what you're kind of getting to as well, you know, it's, it does take some patience, as you mentioned, years of experience and actually doing it. Um, so like someone like me, that's kind of just going after, you know, almost the first week and then trying again soon. Um, you know, it, I will say there are questions, you know, that you run into it. It is some questions that you have to have some years of experience that you don't read from a book. Um, so, you know, for those that are like, yeah, like you said, just jam reading through a book and trying to, you know, force their way in it's it's not that sort of exam it really takes some kind of that real world experience yeah and i don't know where we are in time but i think this is worth talking a little bit more on is at the expert level certification part of the skills necessary the ability to kind of read in information that may not be explicitly describing what's required but you you have to interpret the things that are there and so in specifically in the design portion of the exam, the way that these questions are, are issued is you're given a question, like it's a multiple choice question, but along with that are maybe emails or chat transcripts or design documentation that you have to go through and understand and, and understand fairly quickly because it's still a time part of the exam and then use the information that you got from that. Like what was important to the, uh, the architect that sent the email related to this question and what was important to that maybe the director, like what's the strategy, like the general strategy of a company, and then take all of that together and then go answer the multiple choice question. And having written some of these, I can absolutely guarantee you that if you don't look at the resources that accompany the questions, you may get it wrong, not because the answer you chose was a bad choice, but because there's some element of of expert level interpretation and understanding that you skipped over by not looking at and recognizing that said, oh, um, there was something in this this information from the architect that said this was this is a bit of technical debt that's just stuck that we're stuck with that we have to deal with, um, and that we have to make sure our solution aligns to that. And without recognizing that and what the impact of that type of a piece is, you're probably going to get the question wrong because we wrote them that way, right? That's part of being an expert, particularly in that design focused phase is that ability to kind of bring all of these things together and say, okay, based on what our operations person is important about and based on what the architect wants and based on what the the tools that have already been selected, like we have to go this way, right? I may want to have gone this way, but I can't because these are the things that we have to do. And that's, that's part of being an expert. 
All right. I think that's a good place to wrap. Uh, if you want to continue uh, to learn more about the DevNet Expert Certification and check out other prep materials, uh, just check out the links provided in the show notes below. And of course, this is your weekly reminder. Please subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you again next week.